Hey everyone, it's Andy and Phil. We're your co-hosts for the Burning Creative Podcast. For those of you who don't know us, we're the partners over at Muddy Shutter Media and we're excited to have you listening to our show. This is a podcast about creativity, inspiration, and passion in the creative community. This show is sponsored and supported by MSM and therefore, no ads, all talk. We hope you enjoy the content and don't forget to subscribe, like, and follow our Instagram page at Burning Creative Podcast. Jumping right in, let's introduce today's guest. All right, everyone. So today we have Jess McLaughlin. Did I say that right, Jess? You did. You got it right. There you go. Joining us from Missoula, Montana. Jess, if you could kind of give everybody a synopsis or summary of your of yourself, your career, and kind of your background, you know, that'd be awesome. Absolutely. How's it going, guys? Good. Good. I'm sorry. We were chatting before, so it was kind of like, no boom, worries. Right to it, but yeah, it's <laughs> how's everybody doing today? It's a Friday afternoon, so that's fair game. But yeah, my name is Jess McLaughlin. I'm a freelance outdoor writer, photographer, mostly in the fly fishing industry, but I'm recently branching out into more adventure travel and also wear a hat at uh, Onyx Hunt, which is headquartered here in Missoula as the communications manager. So came from about a decade of being freelance into the world of Onyx and am enjoying trying to find a balance between both right now. But as a freelancer, it's, I started out Gosh, everywhere from worked in the Pinoy uh, River in Russia for a while, uh, helping manage teams of fishing guides, worked in fly shops in Montana and Washington State, running shuttles and selling flies. So started out kind of in the, the very beginning stages of this whole industry. And at one point was working as the outdoor copywriter for Orvis, headquartered up in Vermont, their corporate headquarters, worked with Yellow Dog Fly Fishing in Bozeman, Montana. Uh, general kind of international adventure travel there and was helping them with in-house photography and social media and blog work. And also at one point was the communications director for the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. So I think as we were talking earlier, it's a lot of different hats (laughs) that we all tend to wear. Yeah. So, and all of that just means that Jess is one legit fly fisher (laughs) As well as photographer, communications writer, and lots of hats, right? So you're the real deal. I ch- I'm always <laughs> learning, which is what's fun. I feel like it's yeah. the more I, the more I learn, and the more people I meet in the industry, the more I don't know, which is kind of a really fun space to be. But yeah, I've been lucky enough over the years to work with some really some of the true experts in our field of outdoor communication and then fly fishing mm-hmm. in general, which is it's always fun to kind of sit at their feet and just say, "Teach me," you know, help me understand yeah, yeah, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So as the communications person at Onyx, Mm -hmm. what does that even entail? You know, for someone that has absolutely no clue of our industry or or even, you know, the marketing industry, you know, what is that? Absolutely. So Onyx, I was not necessarily looking to come in-house with a company and Onyx kind of romanced me over about seven months (laughs) ago. So I ended up in-house with them. And they're a, for those who don't know, it's a digital mapping company, basically hunting maps with specially curated layers for hunters on your phone. So one-stop shopping navigation in the field. I had used it for years fishing, but don't necessarily come from a hunting background myself. I'm enjoying being an extreme newbie and learning from all the wise people here in the office. But it's been a ride. I came in as kind of a communications writer, helping with the blog and some social media copy. And since have taken on managing the blog, a lot of our press efforts, our founder, Eric, is doing a lot of work with access and opening up access both in the West and other parts of the country. Basically, in day, we're trying to help people get outside and make the most of their time outside. Mm-hmm. So 
what is, um, you know, take us through like a day-to-day at the Onyx office for you. Oh, no day's the same. So it's kind of an interesting. It's always um, good though. It's always it good. is always good. It's, it, I could never be in an office job where every day is the same. I wouldn't, wouldn't last. <laughs> um, I don't so, think any of us yeah, would. We would make it very long. <laughs> no, it, yeah. it would be like survival of the fittest and I'd be out the first round easily. <laughs> We're lucky. We've got a marketing team here. It's probably 20 something guys now. It's a pretty good wow. sized team. And they're all awesome. I want to adopt half the staff as little brothers and the other half as uncles. It's, it's a, a totally awesome crew, which is the reason I'm here. And yeah. we spend a lot of time looking at overarching content strategy. You know, how do we explain what's kind of a complicated product to Joe Public? Mm. And as we all know, the digital age is changing so quick, quickly. A 14-year-old or a 20-year-old is going to interact with technology, cameras or phones or whatever it is really different than the 75-year-old hunter who has done this right. a certain way his whole life. Right. So we spend a lot of time just talking with each other and interacting and looking at how do we approach different market segments differently and speak mm-hmm. their language. So it's a lot of sitting in meeting rooms and throwing ideas up on the wall. It's also mm-hmm. a lot of, we just went through a recruitment process for a new role today at lunch over tacos and burritos. You know, so it's, Mm-hmm. It's a lot of desk work, but then Friday afternoon, it's Friday about two o'clock here in Missoula. By four o'clock, the office will be pretty empty and people will be out playing. So it's a mm-hmm. good balance of desk work and get outside and get your boots dirty. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. So you uh, you mentioned throwing ideas up on the wall, right? And, and here's kind of my curiosity is, I assume when you throw ideas up on the wall, that's kind of when you guys creatively start collaborating and talking mm-hmm. and uh, kind of putting all the minds together. How is that, you know, how is that for you guys? And how, how is that process for you guys, like you said, explaining or being creative with a technological product, right? Because right. like you said, that can be extremely complicated. How do you guys, like, you know, like you mentioned earlier, how do you simplify something that's so complex and how does creativity play into it? Mm, it's a really good question. For me personally, when I approach a complex topic like this, it's putting yourself in the customer's shoes. Mm-hmm. If we don't understand the questions they'll be asking, we have no starting point. And right. often that seems to boil down to what's the brand? The product has to stand on its own. And we have a, an engineering team here who spends their days doing just that, you know, making sure the product works as much as, as it can. It's technology. So things always happen. But trying to say, okay, we want a brand that people will resonate with. You look at Yeti, for example. I know a lot of people, and I see a lot of Yeti stickers on trucks, people who own this product who don't necessarily need a Yeti cooler. They would do just Mm -hmm. fine with something else, but they want to be part of the Yeti ethos, if you will, of the Yeti brand. So it's, it's an interesting mix of aspirational content, pushing people beyond their comfort zone, and then relatable Mm -hmm. content and saying, hey, we we are you, we hear you, we're in your same shoes, come along with us on a journey. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's putting ourselves in the customer's shoes. And then certainly for the technical product saying, all right, what would the 70 year old who's got his first phone not understand about the product? Or what right. would the tech savvy 35 year old want this app to do that we, we don't have yet? We're not there yet. So it's a lot of like I said, a lot of throwing ideas up on the wall. And luckily, I've worked in some creative environments where that's not, you're not allowed to throw ideas up on the wall without consequence. Right. And I think as creatives, it's exciting when we can get into a room and put 20 ideas down on paper and realize that, hey, 19 of them will never come to fruition. 
they'll never mm-hmm. work, but we'll draw something from those 19 we don't use and create one great idea and move forward with that. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so here's here, here's another loaded question. Go for it. Yeah, <laughs> I think you have a lot of loaded questions because Phil and I are generally pretty curious here. So you're also a freelancer. Right. Right. And I've always kind of wondered how you, in, in terms of collaborating with other people now as, as you're in House of Onyx, mm-hmm. how does your kind of like freelance creative spirit how do you come to terms with working with a big team now? Like you said, your marketing team is 20 people. And right. I'm, I'm sure that you, you guys don't have meetings with 20 people at a time, or maybe you do. Sometimes. But <laughs> how, is, you know, how is that going from freelance where you have, you know, a lot of creative control to, hey, this is my idea, but I know that it's probably never going to come to fruition. Absolutely. It's, it's challenging. I tend to very mm-hmm. much work independently in my mm-hmm. freelance work. I like working one-on-one with a client and having full control of the final output, if you will, since both my networks split about 50-50, writing and photography. So often I'll be, hey, we're sending you and just you around the world to get this story. You know, it's, I'm not a, a photographer with an adjunct writer who comes with me. Right. That's right. So I've been really spoiled over the last decade to have pretty good creative control with input from the client, of course, on what stories look like. Mm-hmm. And it's very much been an education and I think a, a maturing process for me. It's been very healthy to have to work with a much larger team who mm-hmm. often we don't have the same opinions. And it's, it's been very frustrating at times, but it's also really a neat process to see because, you know, they're going to think of something that I never would have thought of. And we kind of mm-hmm. cobble the best of everyone's ideas together into the end product. Right. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of people, and the reason why I asked that was because a lot of people will see an end product or, mm-hmm. you know, a campaign or, or the, the products of, you know, these meetings, but no one really sees that that end product was probably one of, you know, hundreds of ideas and lots of, lots of fights in the conference rooms. And, you know, so it's, it's, I think it's so important for people to see that so much creative energy and individuals go into, you know, pushing out a very good product. Absolutely. For you guys at at Onyx and, and you yourself, you know, typically how long does it take in that process to go from ideation to executing it and launching it? It totally depends. We met today on a project that we'll, we have been working on for about a week and we'll execute and finalize next week. So that's a, you know, it's not a full on campaign. We certainly mm-hmm. do have the evergreen initiatives, which are the larger campaigns, right. which we're, we're looking at some for 2020, you know, so it's wow. look at yeah. the full scope of that. We do retros on our bigger projects. So we, we did one recently where we sat down and looked at a campaign from last summer and fall. And looked at the breadth of how many people worked on that in different touch points. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a process I've never done significantly for my freelance work. And it's a, a way of thinking that I'm starting to use in my own work that I've learned at Onyx is stepping mm-hmm. back, taking a day to dig in and say, all right, beyond the dollars in and dollars out, what time did it take? What resources did it take? How were people pulled away from other projects and really go in depth into something? So it's, I think with a savvy team, be it at Onyx or anywhere, with a savvy team, you're able to flex and really crank on some projects. And Mm -hmm. other times you have the luxury of really diving deep over a long period of time. 
Right. Right. And that's, you know, working in a team, that's pretty crucial in terms of like dedicating and, and knowing where your resources are going, right? Everyone's time and Absolutely. effort. And because I think in terms of creativity, it's very easy to get tunnel vision on something and just start working for the sake of trying to push something out mm. instead of like collectively being like, okay, guys, like, what did we try? like you said, last year that didn't work and, you know, who worked on this and, you know, it's, so I think it's so important for a team to, I guess, for lack of a better word, use past work as a case study for, absolutely. You know, for initiatives in the future. And we learned from so, it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, absolutely. No, 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 go yeah, ahead. Go we ahead. We learned from it. I think every, the goal should be as creatives coming out of any project. There's going to mm-hmm. be something we did that we don't necessarily love. We take those learnings and move forward. And maybe there's something that worked beautifully and we take those learnings and move forward. So it's, it's all part of that process. Mm -hmm. So in terms of communications, Mm -hmm. you know, do you guys have your own department at Onyx? Is it just you and and a a small team, you and another person or just you? Right. It's Uh, up to this point, it's been me, myself and I, Oh, I okay. actually so three people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I wish if I could clone myself, I'd be good to go. Yeah. No, we're right now. It's myself. I actually have just hired another writer who will come in, who will be on my team, and then hopefully continue to expand. Mm-hmm. We're the company is about 125 people now. So for a company of that size, it's we could stand to have a little bit larger communications crew. Mm-hmm. But luckily, the marketing guys are very understanding. If I say, "Hey, I." I know you need something from me. Give me half a day and I'll get it to you. Typically, right. they don't come upstairs and throttle me. <laughs> they're, they're very understanding of, hey, I get it. No worries. If I bring you a beer, can it go faster? And that usually works too. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a really quickly growing company. I imagine, you know, if you asked me that question, March 22nd of 2020 next year, my hope would be it'd be a much increased team at that point. No. Yeah. No. Wow. That's, that's pretty crazy. And you know, just kind of talking about how quickly Onyx has grown. Mm-hmm. I remember, I, I don't know where it was, but I do remember following the Onyx rebrand oh, um, right. yeah. through, through a case study. I forgot who was the agency that did it, but I remember looking at the case study after and seeing Onyx, you know, have this like trying to find themselves, I guess. Right. And the amount of work that was done just to get to the, the logo that you guys have now. I mean, mm-hmm. people think like, oh, it's literally a red square with a white X on it. But right. the case study had like hundreds of logo studies. You know, now seeing you guys grow to, you know, I think you guys have two offices, right? We do. We have one in Bozeman and one in Missoula. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like two offices and, and that many people. It's like, wow. Seeing, you know, the the rebranding and, you know, seeing everything that Onyx has done to to even you, like, it's just you, but hopefully like next year it's, it's going to grow even more. Um, so I think having, you know, for, for Phil and I and, and people listening, having that little like rare behind the scenes look is, is pretty fascinating to, uh, I guess, would you still consider Onyx a startup? I would probably, we're actually entering our 10th year, but we're trying to maintain yeah. startup mentality, which I think is mm-hmm. a good thing. So it's, we're, we're very much startup growing into preschool. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, now I, I guess I want to kind of switch gears here. Sure. How does that, you know, how does working at a, let's just say a, a startup, how does that play into your freelance life? 
It's been interesting. I am finding I was more spoiled than I realized as a freelancer being on the road as much as I was. I think it was 2017, I spent nearly nine months on the road on shoots and on projects. So that's my happy place. I think the biggest challenge and the reason I was not necessarily looking for an in-house job is I'm happiest when I have a duffel bag and my camera and a fly rod, (laughs) which is not necessarily the case coming to a nine to five every day. So it's the freelance work is still very much alive and well. I'm enjoying being a bit more picky and choosy with the projects that I take on. At this point, if I take PTO from a day job, I really want a project mm-hmm. to be worthwhile. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a struggle. I turned down a project, actually, I would have been leaving in a week, that is something I, I very much wanted to do. It was mm-hmm. a, an international shoot in South America and ended up turning it down because mm-hmm. I had a conflict at Onyx. And it's that could be tough. It's tough. It's really, especially having worked so hard to get to, you know, have projects coming to me. You know how it is yeah. in the freelance world. It's when yeah. they start coming to you, you're like, all right, it's I'm an adult now, or I'm getting there. And yeah. switching that mindset and starting to turn stuff down is challenging. Yeah. But my hope is it will increase overall kind of quality of work if I can really invest yeah. the time in projects that I my heart's in instead of worrying about just cranking out a lot of content. It's an interesting challenge. For sure, I don't, I won't, I'll go back someday to being freelance. I won't be in-house with a company forever. But Mm -hmm. a big part of the reason I took the job at Onyx was to learn the hunting industry, which Mm -hmm. I had been at the periphery of, but certainly have now landed myself in the middle of it. And I'm learning a lot. So it's a tool. I'll be here for a while. It's a tool and it's a really good one. But the freelance will always be alive and well. Yeah. So, yeah. so Jess's boss, if, if you're listening, <laughs> Jess is not going anywhere for a while. Okay. Don't worry. Oh, they're, they're well aware. They're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so Jess, so over the past seven months of being, you said seven months with Onyx? Seven months. Yeah. Awesome. So how much have you been able to escape since then? You know, I was lucky. I, so when I came to Onyx, I had just gotten back from a shoot in the Middle East. So came in fresh off a shoot Okay. and then actually had a shoot already scheduled like a month after, I, I mean, three weeks after I started to go up to Swedish Lapland. And so wrote that into my contract on, hey, I won't have PTO, but you're going to let me go for a week. <laughs> and then had a project come up this October in Kenya, which I wanted to take as well. So it's, thus far, it's worked out all right to be able to sneak away. I think as my role changes here, that's going to be a little, little bit harder. Okay. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, that's always, I'm always going to need to get away. Certainly, right. that's important. Well, I'm sure that, you know, if you had decided to just go f- full on freelancing and it's not like your, your portfolio has disappeared or your contacts have disappeared, like, Definitely. I feel like, you know, if you do truly, if, if, if you do great work, work is always going to be there for you to, to take, you know, unless you completely just like burn bridges and just like fall off the face of the earth. Absolutely. But, and it's a good point. I think a lot of it's maintaining those relationships. But now with Onyx, we can find her. Right. You know where I am. I'll have my little waypoint. I'll drop waypoints as I go. go. Um, No, it's actually fun. Onyx has a, a, and this is not a product plug, sorry, but it's, it has like a web map where you can get on the computer and and e-scout. And I got in there and we only work in the the U.S. right now, but went ahead and dropped waypoints at the campsites of a lot of my international trips over the past Mm -hmm. five years or so. And it was really gratifying to like zoom out to the global scale and see little points dropped oh, everywhere. That's awesome. So that yep. that's that was by far like one of my favorite moments of kind of stepping back and going, Oh yeah, this stuff this actually all links together somehow. It's kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Yeah. yeah. So 
what's in store for you for 2019? Oh, I have a couple. I'm going out to Martha's Vineyard for a shoot. Actually, more of a, a fishing trip with friends, and I'll bring the camera and shoot some client awesome. product <laughs> early June, I guess. And then actually have a Wisconsin musky trip coming up in September that I'm looking forward to. Nice. And there's a couple couple international projects coming up that I am working I can't talk about necessarily. I'm working on getting visas to places yeah, that no, I've been advised for security I shouldn't talk about. But they'll be <laughs> they'll be good trips. When the stories come out, it will be some solid stuff. It's yeah. it's a lot of logistics. For I found over the years I mm-hmm. For whatever reason, really enjoy the production side of stuff and getting everything together. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in that phase now. And it's yeah. those moments of, I think I woke up at 2.30 this morning and kind of sat up in bed and went, oh, I forgot this. Or I need to do, you know, this. So it's that moment of, <laughs> it's the moments of sheer panic of kind of, oh, what am I doing? And then the most of it's pure excitement <laughs> of, all right, let's, let's get on the road and do this. So... Right. It's like a healthy roller coaster right. of, of both fear and excitement. You know, it's like, it's what keeps you going. It's like the fear like pushes you to, to like get on your mm-hmm. horse and go. And then the excitement keeps you going that extra mile. And it's like, Absolutely. But, it's adrenaline, um, good little adrenaline burst now and then. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, and some crazy stuff needs to happen to, to keep ourselves humble every it's now and then, hard. you know, sometimes you kind of like, yeah, it's like you're you're riding high and you're like, oh, this is great, you know, like this is such a dream job, and you crash and burn, and then you get back on it, and you know, it's keep, really keep going. humbling in that way. Um, I came across a, I was in the Missoula airport the other day and came across a bumper sticker that said, "Shit went down in Montana," and I grabbed that. <laughs> I, I always throw stickers on my Pelican cases for the cameras, but I thought, you know, that pretty much sums it up. That's that's a really good way. Yeah. 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 So what is the craziest story you've had internationally of, of something going down like that? Oh, there's <laughs> a couple. I was trying to someone the other day and they were saying, oh, you need to write a book. I've had helicopter malfunctions in Russia. Mid-air? Spent, uh, coming into land. So oh. nothing too dramatic, but enough to where now I get in a helicopter. Enough and to you. Yeah, I, enough to spook me in the moment. It's I got a real appreciation for like the process of adrenaline covering up what's actually going on, you know, and then kind of the, the adrenaline shakes you get coming <laughs> off that. And I still yeah, love, yeah. I'm actually working on a story now that's going to have me back up in a helicopter. I still love getting in helicopters. It's one of my favorite things, but now definitely every time you lift off, it's like, all right, I have a, an understanding of what happens when stuff goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Have any of that, I think at some point I'll sit down and write a, like medical things that go wrong in, in weird countries I've had yeah. coral cuts get infected in the South Pacific that ended me in a, a small island medical center. And I just happened to catch like a transitory nurse traveling through who happened to have antibiotics wow. um, and lost. <laughs> My feet swelled up to the point where I couldn't fit inside flip-flops. So I, I was that person wandering home from the shoot, carrying my flip-flops, walking barefoot through the airport, which was probably not the best look nice. at that point in time and lost a bunch of toenails. And it's, you know, yeah, you gain oh, an appreciation man. for the little invisible yeah. microorganisms that can make life really bad really quickly. Well, next time you talk to oh, Nicole, yeah. just ask yeah. her about the toenail story. Oh, I will. Okay. Sour toe Sour cocktail. cocktail. Cool. All right. We'll, we'll leave it yeah. at that. Well, yeah, I'm intrigued now. Okay. I'll get a couple <laughs> beers. Well, then we'll talk. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's good. It's, I was in a shoot. I did a trip two years ago, I guess, this spring, where we were doing the first stand-up paddleboard 
descent of several Amazon River tributaries in Peru. So it's in a region called oh, the wow. Madre de Dios. And it's, mm-hmm. it makes headlines now for drug trafficking and for illegal gold mining. So it's not necessarily a super nice region to go into. <laughs> I was lucky. I was, yeah. was with a couple Peruvian, all the guys were local, a couple Peruvian whitewater athletes. And we put a bunch mm-hmm. of stand-up paddleboards in the back of an open back truck and wound our way two days of driving into the middle of the jungle and put our sups and a raft in the water and floated down. And it was interesting. It starts off as like category three and four whitewater. And then by the time you get into closer to the Amazon proper, it becomes what you see in the, the pictures, a big broad river, right? With a lot of turbidity mm-hmm. and you can't really see anything. And there's things in there that want to eat you. It yeah, was always fun. Always and fun. I, I remember, <laughs> and I was at that point relatively new to stand up paddleboard. Yeah. You know, I was fine on flat water, but on some of the rapids, I was like, eh, let's talk about this. If I fall in, what are the, What's going to eat me? What's you know, what are the consequences? What's my feet? Right. 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 How do we worry about this? Yeah. And the guys, I don't speak Spanish. And luckily we had guys who spoke decent English, but not great. And they're just like, hey, as long as yeah. you, you're not bleeding, you're fine. The piranha won't bother you. And as long as you're not thrashing around, the caiman won't bother you. And like, just basically chill and don't <laughs> bleed and you're good to go. Chill and don't bleed, chill which is, bleed. I think, a good Got life it. motto for <laughs> everything. Just chill and don't bleed. Yeah, chill <laughs> um, and don't bleed. So that's, yeah. <laughs> that should be on I the, the that next actually might, I might sharpie yeah, that yeah, on the, yeah that'd be pretty bleed. awesome <laughs> but yeah that's that has stuck with me chill and don't bleed and so we made it down the river we traveled down the river about a week and then turned around and were able to meet up with some folks and get a ride out and coming out we're driving through the middle of the jungle and all of a sudden like single almost single track dirt road and some t- beater I don't even want to call them trucks, beater vehicles that were running somehow still. And all of a sudden a spotlight turns on in the middle of the jungle and a bunch of people in black with full balaclavas, you know, face masks step out. Wow. And it was the the anti-drug patrols, kind of the special forces they they have down there fighting all the cocaine trafficking. Okay. And they Mm. were one, you know, wanting to check paperwork. They were super nice at 2 a.m. in the middle of the jungle, but they wanted to check paperwork. And, you know, luckily they saw me a pretty a pretty gringo gal with an American passport and they're like, Oh yeah, go, you're good. But that was <laughs> it was one of those trips that was very surreal. You know, you kinda of step back and you're like, This your is heart dropped real quick. Right. Exactly. Little did they know Jess had kilos right. of cocaine. You gotta check the waiter. The waiter yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. gotta make money somehow, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. You're never no, going back there. Right, exactly. Peru, we're good. Yeah. It's weird moments like that where yeah. it's not like the, the glamorous sunset on the beach, you know, or something amazing. But I can still remember that yeah. crystal clear. And it's, I think wherever you are on these weird places, these weird shoots, the job takes us. If you're with good people, it's mm-hmm. all a pretty good adventure. You know, even if it's something yeah. not great happening, it's a good story at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, you know, like good stories have to have some kind of peril right it's like the the story progression you got to have a little bit of climax and the hero has to get out of something it's it's just how it works i would never (laughs) want to go on a trip i i realized the other day i'm so i'm 31 i've never taken a since i became an adult i've never taken a trip where it's not a an assignment i could never imagine taking a vacation Mm -hmm. and just going and laying on a beach somewhere i think i would be so bored i'd rather be ducking piranhas in the amazon or something just because that's well it's it's funny because we actually just talked about that with who was it kyle yes so kyle ferrier does a lot of humanitarian work and 
finds himself in some pretty sticky situations like that. Yeah. yeah and and um, I told him the story about like the first trip that I ever took that wasn't like you said on assignment mm-hmm. or, you know, wasn't seeking adventure. And that was my honeymoon. Nice. And my wife's going to tell me when she hears <laughs> this, but like that was the first time we literally, like you said, went somewhere and laid on a beach <laughs> and like, I, I, I couldn't handle it. Like in the second oh, day no. and grabbed the camera and just like walked out and, you know, met, met this local fisherman and, you know, went out fishing with like, like you said, you know, it's just like, I guess there's certain types of people out there that just can't sit still. Yeah. Sit yeah. still. It's or, okay. Or, you know, go look for a good yeah. story. You know, so I'm, I'm right there with you. I totally I understand. Love that. That. Yeah. And the beauty yeah. is too, some of the best stories are not the other side of the world. It's, we don't necessarily yeah. have to go super far to yeah. find ourselves in the middle of something, which is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And it, it, it's funny you say that because I think um, social media has kind of, I wouldn't say killed it, but mm-hmm. I think social media has uh, brought this kind of romance about traveling abroad to look for like a story or to look for adventure, right. you know, and it's surprising because a lot of people have not traveled to many other states or locations within this country. Absolutely. And sometimes that's like shocking to me, you know, cause it's like, Oh yeah, I went to like France and I like went to Europe mm-hmm. or whatever. And like, and then it's like, but I've only been in like two states. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? spend some time at home. It's, kind of- it's I grew up just about two hours north of Missoula, actually, which is ironic that I'm back here. But right outside Glacier National Park, 35 minutes probably. And I remember having friends growing up who had lived there their whole lives and never been inside Glacier, which to me was yeah. just inconceivable. You know, how do you live somewhere <laughs> at, next to a national park and never go there in 14 years? You know, however old I was at that point. But I think you've got a really good point. People get so romanced by what they see on social media which is not always probably not often a true representation of travel and right it's it's easy to go for the glamour and not the good stuff at home sometimes yeah so speaking of home you know how did you just get into fly fishing and being a guide and right to now work on like what's that whole backstory like i'm very curious about this <laughs> definitely so i'm i'm a i have a interesting backstory. So I was lucky enough to grow up in Montana, grew up actually on a horse boarding and training facility. So we had like a big indoor arena and boarded anywhere from 20 to 40 head of horses at a time. So grew up, you know, go muck stalls at 5am. We didn't have staff. We just ran it as a family. And it was a really good Mm -hmm. way to grow up. It limited travel, certainly when I was younger, because you can't just go leave all the horses. (laughs) Right. But you learn how to get up early and do physical work. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And got into the rodeo thing for a while and then eventually fell into the English side of riding, at which point I started to work with a trainer out of Calgary. So spent a lot of time up in Calgary. She then connected me with a trainer in southern Sweden. So at 17, mm-hmm. moved to southern Sweden to train horses. Wow. Um, wow. And always kind of, I always wrote. I always wrote for myself. You know, like most kids do. I think you write fiction and you write poetry and you do all this stuff. But I always wrote and really I enjoyed taking photos with like my my small 2004 era, you know, whatever year it was, a small $50 camera. Yeah. So I was working over in southern Sweden and that was my first experience like by myself in another country. I remember trying to drive a car 
through a roundabout for the first time. And for, in Montana, we don't have many roundabouts. We definitely didn't at that point in time. And what is yeah, going in the middle on? of this, like, it was like a four lane roundabout in the middle of this Swedish city. And I was just like, I'm 17. I don't even have a, like a real license to drive internationally. If I wreck this car, it's not mine. Yeah. You know, that moment of panic, I think we all have when we start traveling of like, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. So had that experience, which was fantastic, and then came back to the States and just burned out on the horse thing. I was tired of seeing people try and buy talent, which is something I think we see on the, there's interesting parallels to the creative side. You know, we all hear that, mm-hmm. oh, you have the gear, so you're, you're an expert, right. you know. Absolutely. And that was echoed pretty strongly in the equestrian world. So burned out hard mm-hmm. with that and came back and started working in a sportsman's warehouse like a outdoor store selling licenses behind the counter and selling footwear you know i think i was 19 at the time and needed to pay the rent and pay for gas and started writing there was at one point this was 2009 a proposed hydroelectric dam they were going to put it right on the madison river just outside of hebgen so kind of like quake lake area which is a, a beloved area for fly fishermen and mm-hmm. i i I think being 19 and full of spunk was like, all right, I grew up fishing these waters. This is kind of down by Bozeman and West Yellowstone. Grew up fishing. Mm -hmm. I want to see what's going on with this story. I heard rumors around town about why are they putting a dam here? This is going to screw up the whole system, which will screw up other rivers. And Mm -hmm. the writer in me came out and said, I want this story. And I'm still not quite sure what turned on the journalist button, I guess, at that point in time. But all of a sudden wanted to do some investigative journalism and went and got the story. I got an interview that no one else was able to get with the, it was an Australian company who was wanting to come in and build this dam. And I think they thought, oh, it's a, it's like a young college kid, which I wasn't, I was just working, but they looked at me and thought, oh, it's a young gal who nothing's going to come of this. So we'll do an interview and kind of, ha ha. She doesn't even have a professional camera. She's right. got this $50 totally. the, What day? The Dean camera. Do? I was uh, <laughs> showed up with like my little recorder notepad and was very, very old school. Yeah. And ended up getting the story and American Angler magazine agreed to run it, but wanted photographic evidence of the site. And so I, mm-hmm. I it took a while. I ended up eating rice and beans and kind of figuring out how could I not spend money on anything else and save up and get a better camera. Mm-hmm. And was at that point, now working three different jobs. I think I'd stripped down. At one point, I had my food budget down to $15 a week. Wow. Um, super bare bones. And <laughs> I needed the camera by the print deadline. So I was like, I, I started walking places instead of driving. I stripped everything out that I could. Got the camera, got the images, and the, the images ran with the article in the magazine. And so all of a sudden, I was had a piece in a national magazine, a small national magazine. But at 19, I thought, hey, this can kind of work. I can combine words and images into something that will Mm -hmm. generate some discussion. And that article ended up generating a fair amount of discussion. And the dam never happened, which was really, it was a cool outcome years later to see that, hey, this, this stuff works. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, that's an extremely long answer to your question. But it's, it's been a journey ever since. It's interesting. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. I mean, I you know, I, I didn't even know about that whole thing and the dam. That's that's pretty cool. There we go. Okay. Cool. So we had just finished talking about the rice and beans and and the article running. Yeah, just kind of getting getting started and stuff. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So so what got you into photography? I'm still not sure. 
To be honest, it kind of turned into this. It started off getting the photos for that article. And I think they're the most boring photos I've ever had published in my career. You know, it's, it's a, a lake with rocks in front of it. And then I started just having fun with the camera and playing. So it's Gruesome, from yeah. there. And it turned into kind of a fun. I got into photography to start accompanying articles. You know, have the photos and articles run together. Yeah. And then photography eventually spun off into its own world. That's so awesome. it's fun. I do a lot of projects now. I have one this tomorrow, actually, where I just am a standalone photographer. But ideal scenario is someone saying, hey, here's a plane ticket. Go get on, a, go get on the plane, take, take off, off yeah. and do both. You know, go, go cover a whole story for us with images and words. That's it's awesome. fun. Yeah. Well, getting back to, I guess, your family, do they still do training? Not horses? at all, actually. My, I have a brother in Livingston, just east of Bozeman who just had his first kid. I think Brantley's nine months old. So he's, he's, he works in the outdoor industry as well. He works for Seacat uh, Creative, which is a media house there okay. in Bozeman. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Jake and I are kind of both ended up in the industry for better or worse. <laughs> and then my folks are actually down in Dallas, just north of Dallas now. Yeah, they're like, oh, we're, we're just so sick of taking care of horses. We need to go do something fun. Just something different, <laughs> I think. Yeah, mix it up. Yeah. My mom actually, at one point I was, like we were talking earlier, I was in-house with Orbis. And when I was staff with them, my mom thought, oh, you're having so much fun. I want to start working with Orbis. So at this point, she now is an area manager for Orbis retail stores. No kidding. So I still like, I have all these, these links back to Orbis. I can never get away. Yeah. You got <laughs> all the fun. back channels. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, keep, I keep up to speed where I can. I try. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So going back to your... so. So we're trying to establish this timeline here. So you just ran your first article and right. you're 19 years old. What kind of transpired in your mind after that? Were you like, boom, let's do this for a living. You know, I'm going to go in, you know, full time at this. And, you know, you mentioned you were guiding in Russia and all this stuff. How did you, how did the 19 year old Jess find herself in Russia? Right. So I, I was in, living in Bozeman in Montana when that article published um, mm -hmm. and ended up within the year down in Austin, working outdoor retail, kind of learning to rock climb. My goal, pretty quickly I went from, hey, this outdoor industry, writing a photography thing is fun, to you asked earlier what got me into photography. I think I wanted to be a conflict mm -hmm. photographer. I wanted to go cover conflict. Wow. And that obviously, you know, 2009, we were kind of in the midst still of a lot of different action uh -huh. throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And thought, all right, I can move to Austin, go do some work with like the Border Patrol down further on the Texas border and have some, add some other connections there I could leverage. So packed up, moved to Austin, did a lot of work down there, learned a lot. And then out of the blue, one, it was probably a Mar mid-March of 2012, I got a call from the, the then manager of the Pinoy camp in Murmansk Oblast in Russia Mm -hmm. saying, hey, I need an assistant manager. Can you come out and help manage the camp for the season? And the camp opened up the first week of May, I think. So it was a scramble of, hey, do I want to drop everything in life, go work in a very militarized region of Russia at an Atlantic salmon camp, and actually went as the assistant manager, so managing a lot of the logistics. Like we had supply helicopters come every Thursday and guests turned over every Saturday. And help work with the guide team and work with a lot of the logistics. Sadly, I wasn't on the water as much as I wanted. I would have much rather been spending every day out on the water with the guys. Now, well, where was that on the so it's latitude line? 
compared to North, North yeah, America? It's north of the Arctic Circle, that weird okay. thumb of Russia that sticks off of Finland. So it's mm, far western yeah. Russia. Okay. Yep. Um, yep. Murmansk is where one of the big sub bases is. So it's not necessarily a, a tourist area. It's it's difficult to get around that town as a foreigner. You definitely, mm. I mean, we had to go through, I came into the country on a work visa, which meant three days of mandatory medical testing in a, a Soviet era hospital, which was, <laughs> it looks exactly like it does in the James Bond movies. It's cinder blocks and, and big nurses who pick up needles. Um, <laughs> Who are, they can draw blood out of a vein faster than anyone I've seen yet to date. They're very efficient at what they do. So yeah, I'm it's, not surprised. <laughs> definitely, they're they're pretty. They get it done over there. Yeah, yeah. It's very much you know it's big flat tundra with big salmon rivers cutting through it. So it's pretty different terrain. And the camp was over on the Pinoy River, so about a two and a half hour helicopter ride wet or east of Murmansk. So just kind of you're out far enough where if something goes wrong, you're you need to be able to handle yourself, but mm-hmm. you're within reach of a city, which is nice. Right. Is that where the helicopter yeah. Yeah. came in? Yeah, <laughs> that happened in there. You know, it was fun. We had two big of the, the Mi-8, the Mi-8 helicopters, which are all the big ex-military Russian helicopters, and they're workhorses. I'm always, I'd read stories as a kid of like, oh, you could fit, you know, 24 guys with full kit in there and deploy yeah. them here and there. And it was kind of, couldn't really envision being in a flying vehicle with those capabilities that could hold that much cargo and mm-hmm. the amount of stuff you can put in those is they're such cool helicopters they're really fun that's awesome um, so yeah it's fun so i ended up on the pinoy for a season came back home was in seattle for a while i worked at a fly shop out at gig harbor on the olympic peninsula and kind of learned a little bit all the fishing in russia had been two-handed you know spay spay fishing coming back i wanted to learn more of that so washington was a good place to do it did a stint for a while as a newspaper reporter in Pinedale, Wyoming, which is near the Wind Rivers, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Ended up being really valuable from just, I think everyone who wants to write should go work at a podunk town newspaper. You learn a lot really quickly. Then actually got on a short project with the U.S. military and did some time kind of researching media to military relations in at Fort Leavenworth and then Fort Leonard Wood. So it was interesting. Leavenworth houses the Command and General Staff College. So you're mm. dealing with a very high tier of military leaders from all over right. the world. And then going and basically going through a very condensed version of basic training at Leonard Wood. You know, you see, you see the full breadth yeah. of the military realm, which is really, I have the hugest respect for those guys and made some really good friends. So it was a really a cool experience. Mm-hmm. And then... You have been all over and experienced that. Well, it's ton. great. And at the end of the day, I'd never be able to do any of this without a camera. So it's, right. the camera has been a great yep. vehicle to just, I feel like I don't necessarily have a, a home per se. Like if so, I still struggle whenever I'm filling out paperwork for visas traveling. Where's your home? <laughs> like I know where I park my car, but yeah. I feel like as you travel, you, you make little families wherever you go, which is right. But yeah, then went from, from the army project to work up at on the Missouri river here in Montana at kind of a, a pseudo famous fly shop called Headhunters, mm-hmm. which is run by a couple guys who are some of the shrewdest fly fishing industry businessmen I've ever met. Really smart guys who aren't afraid to kind of create good content and market themselves creatively. Mm-hmm. And as with most small fly fishing town, I think Craig where the shop is located is three fly shops, a bar, a mechanic and a seasonal restaurant. I mean, literally, it's a town that exists because of fly fishing. Mm-hmm. So that was learning kind of the whole 
deep dive. I actually did a long-term photo project there throughout the whole breadth of the season, like preseason winter snow all the way through end of season towns winding back down again. And that was the first long-term project I could sink my teeth into, which was an education unto itself. It's always learning. I feel like no matter what we're doing in this world, there's so much to learn. Like I said earlier, the, the more I see and the more people I meet, the more I realize how little I know, which is a really fun place to be. Yeah. So speaking of experiences, right? You've obviously have seen a ton of stuff. You have worked on a variety of different projects. How does that, you know, have you seen yourself progressively, I wouldn't say change, but how has your style morphed to reflect that? You know, like, Mm. was there a point in your life where you're like, oh my gosh, like my work is so much different from that first little article I ran, you know, like, how is it changing your style now that you are, you know, in-house of Onyx is, does that have an effect on that as, as well? Or. No, it's a good question. I, I'm working really hard to keep my work and the Onyx work separate, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think beneficial to both sides to kind of have the different hats. You know, I go right. home each night mm-hmm. and put on my freelance hat and work for five more hours and get stuff done and then wake up here and come here. So yep. that's, there's a pretty clear divide there, but I think over the years, I've definitely seen work change. I was putting together an editorial piece last weekend, actually, for a client and pulling some photos that I took on the Missouri River in 2012, I guess, was or 2013 was that project. And some of them, I was like, all right, this I can see where my current style began to develop. And right. then other ones, I was just like, why? <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> you um, just want to like burn it. You know, right. Like, <laughs> so good. And it's, I'm definitely learning over the years as my creative eye evolves. There's some photos I would want to delete immediately, you know, like import, <laughs> delete. And yep. other people really resonate with those. So it's made me maybe be a bit more patient as a creative and a bit more yep. willing to try some different things that might not be intuitive for me as a, as a photographer. But someone else out there, it will really strike them and resonate with them. And it's, I'm always, I'm climbing around on things and I'm monkeying around and I'm very big at like moving the eye. You know, as Mm -hmm. as a photographer, we always need to be on top of something or under something or wherever. And little things like that, it's always fun. Someone actually this past month stopped me and said, hey, I knew when I opened, it was a UK publication. I knew when I opened this that it was your photo without seeing the credit. And that to me, like that made, I was high off that comment for <laughs> two weeks probably because I think that's what yep. we all aim for as photographers is for someone to be like flipping through Instagram and they see one of our images and go, oh, that looks like right. so-and-so's image. Um, and it's, it's something, to your point earlier, we're all going to change. Our style evolves as we shoot and as we learn. And that's what makes it fun. I think it's never a stagnant, like, all right, right, stagnant. I reached the goal because the goal keeps shifting. So speaking of goals, you know, what, um, how have your goals changed? They've changed a lot. I'm, I'm one of those really type A people where I keep running six month, one year, three year and five Mm -hmm. year goals written down. And goals have changed from get my first international shoot. And actually when I was in house with Orvis as a writer, they were kind enough to say, all right, we're putting on a plane to Belize go tell this story. So it's, it's looking back at stuff as simple as that to last year, a big goal. And it has been for a number of years was go do some work in the Middle East, you know, and so checking goals off like that. And now goals are getting a bit more finite of, okay, go to the Middle East, but go here or go to the Middle East and tell the story. 
they definitely change. It's rewarding to say, okay, I reached that goal. I like to give myself, you know, maybe an evening to be like, all right, this is great. I, I made a big step. And then the rule of thumb is always, all right, next morning you get up and mark down whatever mm -hmm. builds off of that. I think it's really important not to rest on your right. perceived right. laurels. But yeah, it's good, honestly. And Onyx has been a really good eye-opener for changing my own goals. Because as we talked about earlier, it's I'm learning more how I work in a right. much broader team. You know, So maybe a, a goal that I've been working on recently is trying to understand the way a different person on the team works and find a way to mm -hmm. execute a shoot with them. So it's, it's always that balance of like creative development, professional development, and yep. personal. And actually, I had a really good... I'm trying to find my notes here on my computer. I keep a running note. I had a good military friend who always broke it down into keep an eye on your capacity and your professional, physical, and emotional mm. capacities. And then he added in creative capacity yep. in there as well, just as we talked. But that was that has always stuck with me. It's kind of those are the four building blocks for the day to day. Wow. Really. Yeah, that's awesome. It's like I, I want to get a, my notepad out and, and write that down. You know, I have it I always have it within reach. <laughs> I love it. Nice. It's important. I'm the word I always have what is it, text edit on Max yep. open and I just have this running kind of page of word vomit where a lot of it will go yep. on there for a week and get deleted, but some of it stays in, in yeah, old text. I, and it's, you know, it's I there. literally cannot live without my moleskins and kind of a, mm -hmm. some background about myself was uh, I was an architect before and like it was ingrained really? in us to always carry, you know, a moleskin or a journal or something everywhere you yeah. went and like getting, like you said, you know, getting into that habit of like writing down goals or writing things down. And now like, years mm -hmm. later a decade later it's like man i am so like that's probably one of my for lack of a better word uh, skill that i i have is like telling myself to write down notes awesome. you know even down to like you said i mean keeping track of stories or keeping track of your capacities and when you look at it mm -hmm. you're like oh wow i'm doing too much or i'm doing too little you know so it's it's great that you do that and what's well, so awesome you do it's i think that's a lost art I see a lot of young photographers who don't give any thought to even the, the mm -hmm. who, what, why, when, where yep. of what they're shooting. And they might get an awesome shot and then get home and need to provide a caption yep. and have nothing. So that's, yeah, that's, that's so cool. It, it, it is. And it, it's, it's funny because um, before the world of Onyx and, and, you know, before the, the in reaches and all that stuff, you know, it was, um, mm -hmm. I, I looked back at a moleskin I had from maybe like eight years ago and, you know, I, oh, I wow. had um, written down like coordinates, you know, coordinates because I was like, oh, you know, one day I'll, I'll awesome. come back to this location. <laughs> and it was like in the redwoods of California or something. And, you know, eight years later, I went back and was like, oh, I can actually type these coordinates in and literally see it on a satellite, you know? <laughs> and it was so cool. And I was like so happy that I had written down those coordinates because then I literally saw the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, like this is what it looked like you know, back then. And so you never know when you're going to go back and read those notes. And it's, Oh, absolutely. And those, those are the best notebooks too. I don't know how many of those Moleskine yeah. notebooks I have. It's, and you just look back. I always try on airplanes, wherever I am, try and sit down and like, write. Okay. Here's, here's what yep. I'm flying over. Here's where I'm going. Here's how I'm yep. feeling about the mission. And it's fun to go back and look at that and go, oh, I was so tired because I can't even understand what I was writing. <laughs> but if you can capture, if you can get the emotion mm -hmm. down on page, you know, I don't know how many times I've been 
kind of deliriously tired and written gibberish. But then I look back and it takes you Mm -hmm. back into that moment. Absolutely. And I think it it gives a person a glimpse into the person that, you know, they were back then and and to see that progression of, of, Mm -hmm. you know, how someone's grown or how you've grown. And uh, I mean, just uh, another example of, of one of my moleskins is like, I remember when I first started photography, I would write down, you know, the images that, and, and I, I, I had a film camera. So like I would write down the settings and stuff. And oh, you know, right. now I look back at it. I'm <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, that was totally wrong. Like, why did I, you know, why did I choose that shutter speed? Like, Oh my right. gosh, you know, I was such an idiot. And, but, but that should make you feel, Oh, sorry. That should make you no, feel no, so go good. Yeah, Cause it's, like, it's, look at you now. It's awesome. And well, but then you kind of realize like, wow, I have, I still have so much to learn. Absolutely. It, it, it gives you a little good feeling for a little second because you're like, oh, wow, like I've grown a lot. And then you're like, well, dang, (laughs) like I still have so much to learn from that point, you know, but you know, have you ever thought to yourself as a creative, you know, where are you going with your work? Uh, I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's kind of a vague question, but a lot of people are just like, I don't know. Like I just, I just like take pictures. There's no end goal. Like I'm not trying to be like anyone, you know, have you ever thought about what your end goal is with, with your career? Yeah, probably way too much actually. And it's, <laughs> it's an answer that keeps changing. I still am working to get back into what got me started 10 years ago, which is doing more of the conflict. And I think mm-hmm. I'll get, do some more of the humanitarian photography as well, because I feel like there are stories there that are not, there's many that are being told. Well, mm-hmm. there are many that are not, Right. And I, I forever will be in love with the outdoor industry. I get frustrated with this industry sometimes in that we tend to put too much weight into what we do. At the end of the day, I'm helping market maps and I'm telling fishing stories. And there's, there's not really lives on the line. And there's things change when the stakes get a little bit higher. So that's, it's not a good answer it's i i my parents cringe every time we talk about this because like i said i have a brother who who is house and white picket fence and a baby and a dog and i can't justify getting more than like a succulent plant because i'll be gone for three weeks and something's gonna die um when i leave so it's it's very it's probably not the most mature way to approach it but i I think there's a lot more work to be done out there, both in the outdoor industry and beyond. I see myself being at Onyx for a while and seeing kind of what this role can evolve into, but certainly I'm looking beyond that as well. Yeah. So it's, I think the common theme is I want to be telling stories at, until the end. You know, I want to be telling stories as long as I'm around. And those topics of those stories will change as the years go by. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I'm so glad that you said that because... I think for Phil and I, that was always a goal for ourselves too, was not Mm. be so, like you said, not put so much weight into the hunting and fishing. And like, I I think in the, maybe it's, it's just the, the community within it, but like you said, everybody can be a little bit insular and like, we we just look at our work and the stories being told in, in our little community as like, Oh, this is like the biggest thing happening, you know, like blah, blah. And we don't realize it's like, guys, there's, a whole nother world out there of great stories that need to be told, you know? And, Absolutely. And, and like you said, it, it always changes because for Phil and I, it's like, we, we want to just tell great stories no matter what industry it's in. Obviously mm-hmm. that, that takes a lot longer for us to try to 
achieve because you know you can't just go into any industry willy-nilly you got to build the connections and stuff like that but absolutely you know it's a lot more fulfilling i think because you you do kind of like step back and you're like wow you know it doesn't really matter what content or or story you're shooting as long as it's a real story and it you know it it evokes emotions and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. You know, it, it really doesn't matter what industry you're working in. And I'm so glad you said that because I, I think when we, we started chatting at SHOT Show, we kind of realized like, oh yeah, like you came from the fishing side, but now you're hunting. And right. I think we all kind of had that same view where it's like, well, it doesn't really matter what industry you're in. You just got to tell a good story. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed our conversation at SHOT so much because it's, I know a lot of, as you guys do too, a lot of really good creatives in this space who tend to think they're exceptionally good at what they do, but they also tend to think they're exceptionally good at what they do, which I think can be a little bit dangerous. Mm -hmm. And the more we can all step back and go, really guys, end of the day, we're in a recreation space. You know, it's granted, there are a lot of guides and outfitters who make their living in this industry, a lot of manufacturers and companies, but this is a, an optional activity. For most of the people who are consuming yeah. this media. True. Yeah. And that's yep. not the case for a lot of other realms. Um, mm-hmm. So we're, whenever I get frustrated with something that's happened or, or, you know, certain people's opinions on certain things, I definitely have to step back and go, Hey, I, I did a shoot last October in Kenya, for example, where kids aren't getting water, you know, and, and kids are dying from parasites. And like, it's, I remember coming back and like turning on my faucet, getting home that night after flying for three days and literally kind of in a haze, like I stopped for probably 10 seconds and just looked at the water. And I was like, Hey, this is, these are the stories that need to be told. Cause there's actually, it's something we take for granted so much. And much of the rest of the world would look at our hunting and fishing industries and go, well, why aren't you eating every, you know, and we do eat a lot of what we shoot, but right. they, it's sure. a, it's a hobby really. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's an interesting divide for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes you really have to take back a uh, step back and see everything in perspective. And, and that, mm-hmm. like you said, at the end of the day, we are working for an industry that the people in it have a, a big luxury, right? Absolutely. I mean, people have a big luxury to go buy fishing rods and, and stuff like that and, and go fishing for fun. Whereas mm-hmm. in other parts of the country, it's like, you know, they, they can't even fathom spending that much money on a recreational item or something like that. Oh, you know? absolutely. And like, yeah. And sometimes you step back and you're like, wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, Definitely. yeah. It, it just changes kind of your perspective on things. Oh, it does. It's, I did a shoot a few years ago in French Polynesia for those Costa sunglasses in a group called Indie Fly. And it actually has, yeah. The project has continued now over the course of three years and is a, a film right now on the Fly Fishing Film Tour about it. Mm-hmm. But we were the first people to show up on this little atoll in French Polynesia, first tourists in, in a while. And much of the food there is coconuts and bonefish. They eat the bonefish and they get coconut milk and coconut meat. And that's what the team, you know, the, the locals survive on. Mm-hmm. And we came in there with our fly rods and our flies and our gear and would catch and release fish. And I just yeah. remember turning around with some of the locals we were out walking through the water with. And they're like, well, why are you putting it back? Well, I would never put dinner back. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and sitting down and we ate, you know, raw fish, raw bone fish and coconut milk for three meals a day for 
a week and it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's forever changed the way I look at bonefish, for example. And I would never like most places in the world. I'm, I grew up catch and release and I'll, I'll be that way mostly forever. Yeah. But that was a real eye opener into what you're just talking about, Andy, of like, Hey, it's what we view as kind of a, a fun thing to go do is how people catch their dinner or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah and then how they live Absolutely. their lives day in day out yeah well jess you know we really we don't want to keep you too long but uh we always like to kind of finalize with if you could go back to your let's say your 19 year old right. self writing the stories you know about the hydroelectric dam what would you tell yourself then oh um that's a really good question yeah, this i would has been say a consistent question to everyone so we're, we're very curious as to how everyone you know answers just, yeah just looking Absolutely. back what do you think you would um you would tell your 19 year old self i would say probably just be be bold i'm very much a shy person i grew up not i'd rather work by myself and it's always a big undertaking for me especially when i was younger to go work with other people and work within a group so just not being afraid to look stupid for lack of a better word. That's something I'm really having fun with now. You know, a decade into this, I don't mind going and saying, hey, I know nothing. Please teach me. That's one of my favorite things to do because then there's no pretense. There's so much to learn. I would say just, you know, don't be afraid to look stupid and then just go get your hands dirty. It's something I've always enjoyed and certainly something when I have folks ask, hey, what advice would you give? I think a lot of younger people, especially these days, are afraid to go put the work in. Ask, yeah, well, and ask and for it. it. Absolutely. I totally agree. No, it's, um, I had a guy question last week who said, hey, can I have your client list? I want to be a professional photographer. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. kudos for the boldness, but that's not the way we do this. And I mean, still, I yeah. put in my average week right now is between 60 and 70 hours of work. So like, don't, don't yeah. and I don't say that as a, a matter of bragging just as a point of reality you know i think a lot of people view the work we all do is oh you get to fly to cool places and drink mojitos on the beach and see all this cool stuff and it's like no there's i spend hours in the gym getting ready for this kind of thing and i there's a whole back story to this that people don't see and they don't see the the 2 (laughs) a.m sessions typing a line and deleting it for an hour on the keyboard um so it's 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 not romantic work by any stretch of the imagination, but I yep. think it's some of the best work out Absolutely. there. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. And that's kind of why we wanted to, you know, talk with you today, especially in the reason behind the, the burning creative podcast is to kind of focus on the back of house stuff that no one really sees. And, and it's not, like you said, not just the, the beautiful travels mm-hmm. and everything you see out there, but there's so much more that goes on. And we, we definitely appreciate hearing your story and, and your background and, I appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. I think it's a phenomenal premise for a podcast. So thanks for putting in the work, both of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Jess. And um, I know it's Friday and you're dying to get out there, so uh-huh. we won't bother you anymore. <laughs> but awesome. Thanks again. And thanks, uh, we'll chat soon and keep up the good work and you know keep crushing it. Right back at you. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for joining on today's episode of the Burning Creative Podcast. Don't forget to show us some love by sharing, subscribing, and following along on our website, theburningcreative.com. Until next time, keep the fire burning.